right. Well, welcome back, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed a well-earned break. I know we did here. Everybody is enjoying some lunch. I know Laura was signing some of her books as well. So we're having a lot of fun here in person. I hope you're having a lot of fun there in the digital world as well, following along. Jessica, I see your question, and we're going to be talking to Rick in just a minute. And so welcome back, Alex. What did you think of sessions for the last case study this morning? Fantastic sessions. I really enjoyed the panel too. Uh, you know, just the builds were so seamless between between each of uh, the participants. I don't know, Kevin, Rick, and Ashley all had their each unique point of view. And I loved how different the companies were, but how similar the strategies were and the takeaways were. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have Rick with me here today. Apparently, there was 21 winners. You all got a, uh, the three of you today got an award in person. In person Can you right? see your award? You sure. brought it with you, so we may as well show everybody. Yeah. There's Just hardware. Yeah. So now you got on the podium. <laughs> on the podium. So congratulations on winning Supply Chains to Admire 2022. For anybody who didn't join your session this morning, why don't you give everybody a little bit of an overview of who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive into some of the questions of your case study. Sure, fantastic. Uh, I'm Rick McDonald. I'm the uh, SVP and Chief Supply Chain Officer for the Clorox Company. I've been with the company for 30 years, and I'm responsible for our integrated supply chain. So everything from uh, planning through to the customer, uh, about 6,000 companies, 9,000 people report somewhere into the supply chain organization. And uh, for those of you who don't know a lot about Clorox, we're a $7 billion consumer packaged goods company. We, uh, we produce products and sell them in over 100 companies, and we have our associates uh, landed in about 25 countries worldwide. Wow, that's incredible. And I, Eric Johnson from Journal of Commerce is here today. I was just talking, he, points that you made in your case study today was around how you reduced your SKUs. And I think you reduced your SKUs of wipes right in the middle of the pandemic. We did. Can you talk to us about first, how did that come about? Because it's <laughs> at a point where you're probably selling the most why you did it and how did you make that happen? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. We um, we started to build our four days of supplier FDOS in January of 2020, mm -hmm. really before COVID was a thing here. We had the intel from our colleagues in China that there was really something going on. Mm -hmm. So we took FDOS targets up. And, you know, my point of view on that was it was an easy decision to make because if we were wrong, sell through it over the subsequent months. And right. we have a blip in the core. We'd be able to explain that if, if necessary. Turns out we weren't wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we took wipes, FDOS, from about 40 days up into 70 days, 72 wow. days. And then over two and a half, three weeks in March, all of that's gone, every last bit of it. And so from that point forward, we were hand-to-mouth on producing wipes. Uh, our general manager came to our plant in uh, Atlanta and walked around with, with my team and Really, we decided in the moment we were going to take the SKU count down from about 115 to 15 of our biggest our mm -hmm. biggest movers. And what that did for us, it was, it minimized the raw and packaging materials that we had to secure. Yeah. And that started to get um, pretty difficult almost mm -hmm. right away as suppliers had some of the same challenges we all did. Uh, it also increased our uptime in the manufacturing plant. 
Okay. So we spent a lot less time changing over, a lot less time ramping down and ramping back up out of changeovers. Mm -hmm. And so we increased our throughput in double digits. And what we knew was we needed to make every single canister of pipe we could make. And the best thing we could do was run flat out as often as we could. And so reducing the skew count from the 115 to a 15 enabled us to do that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of uh, companies and organizations looking at reducing skew count now mm-hmm. <laughs> just yes. because of, you know, lack of, yeah, ra- lack of raw materials, the manufacturing rolling blackouts that we're still experiencing overseas as well. Has it had, like, has that had you and your team sort of rethink your supply chain risk? And where you are looking to source, have you diversified suppliers in that way? Mm-hmm. And have you diversified where you're manufacturing? Are you even thinking about that right now? Uh, yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, the, the idea of diversifying sourcing uh, started literally after the pandemic began as suppliers showed up with force majeures. Uh, I think we've now made our way through more than 300 force majeures. In the 300? Last, 300 in the last two and a half years. Wow. And, um, you know, we, we have a bunch of great suppliers, but at various points in time, they were just unable to um, get materials themselves mm-hmm. or they had COVID issues in their facilities, so they didn't have enough labor. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, we diversified supply significantly, not only for raw and packaging materials, but also for what we call external manufacturers, contract manufacturers. Okay. Uh, we deployed a number of contract manufacturers early days to make more wipes for us. Mm-hmm. Then we built our own line and put that in place in the space that we have available in our in our plant. And oh, really? Yeah, we did. We did. We went from uh, from board of director approval to a full functioning, highly automated line. Wow space we had in one of our plants in about eight months. I think <laughs> semiconductors might need you. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was not only a great team effort uh, within Clorox, but also with our uh, OEM suppliers. Okay. They were fantastic. And then we also worked the White House Supply Chain Task Force, the State Department, because it turns out the technicians necessary mm-hmm. to bring all this equipment put it together and bring it online. We're all based out, mostly based out of the U.S. Okay. And so we had to expedite visas for them. It was a huge collaboration for Kemp and his office in the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. There were just a whole lot of people that came together to make this wipe. We basically doubled our capacity to make that doubling of the capacity come to life. Interesting. Now, Alex, I know you want to step in here, but I have another question about this supply chain task force. How was it like working with them? And if if I was in the audience, what would you suggest? Or is there particular industries that they're looking to work with? Do you know? That... Well, I don't know that it still exists. Oh, I thought it did. I don't know that it still okay. exists. I've not had contact with them in some time, but during the COVID period, and as yeah. we're working to get this online, they were fantastic to work with. Okay. So uh, General John Palachek is the, uh, uh, the the individual that we work with directly, mm-hmm. and um, they they just they helped us immensely in putting a line in place and getting it online, fully mm-hmm. functional, fully operational in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So definitely worth looking into if they're still doing that. I know they're getting involved in certain things like demerge and detention, and so definitely something to look into. If it's still around, because it sounds like it could be a good collaboration, depending on what you want to do with your manufacturing. And if you've got space and maybe the time and looking to, you know, move some of that. Yeah, that's right, Sarah. They were a great resource for us and potentially they could be that for someone else. Awesome. Alex, I think we've got some audience questions. Do you want to 
take that away. Let's take it away. Sure. So Karen has a question. Skew rationalization has had wonderful impacts on complexity. Um, she asked, will this last? And then what about pent-up product innovation? Will the will the marketing and product design teams undo some of the rationalization efforts? And I know that's a little bit of a compounded question, but a lot to unpack. Yeah, you know, Alex, we, we're talking less about skew rationalization. We're just getting to the right skew can. I think skew rationalization in some circles doesn't enjoy the best reputation because it focuses right. too much on too much on cost. Yeah. This is really about how do you create the best value? What what does the consumer need now? And what are those SKUs that satisfy that need? Mm -hmm. And it's in most in most organizations, it's not the full lineup of all the SKUs that are right. Mm -hmm. And so, how do you get to that conversation with the business unit around what should we be making? What creates the most value for the enterprise? Uh, probably, what are the best margin SKUs in, in this day of super high inflation? And then, how do you move forward with some sort of a plan to? get the skew count to where you want it to be. You know, what we did during COVID was very abrupt. It was absolutely necessary. It was absolutely the right thing to do. We built back some of those SKUs uh, because the 15 on wipes that we were producing were not all of our best SKUs. Okay. So we've added back some SKUs that are, that are really fantastic for consumers. And I would submit that's probably what we'll end up doing across the other lines of our, our business as well. Uh, I, I think relative to innovation, that was kind of the second part of the question there is a lot of pent-up innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just really difficult to innovate during COVID. And I think uh, a lot of firms are really taking advantage of this time mm. to plus up their, their innovation programs. And I can't wait to see it. Right. Right. Because right. I, I think at that point, if we see that innovation, it means that we have time to innovate. Yes. I think the last two or three years, there's been a lot of firefighting, a lot of overwhelm. You know, even Kevin mentioned that he's got his team working overtime the last two weeks of every single month, you know, um, sometimes during the pandemic and even now. And it's almost like we need a bit of relief. But I think when the innovation comes out, we have time to really be able to do that. That's when we know that we have a tiny bit mm -hmm. of relief and we can really reset and, and do what we need to do to... Yeah, that's that's right. And, you know, in 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 our business, consumer packaged goods, innovation is the lifeblood of our enterprise. Yeah. You know, the, the we have great brands. Um, consumers trust Clorox. They trust Clorox's brands. Mm -hmm. So we're very optimistic about how our innovation will work for uh, for consumers. We also need to have a lot more of it. And so we're really intent on producing that. Yeah. And it, it comes down to the people. Right, Alex? I think we've got another question it, from Jessica. Does. We do have a question from Jessica as well. And Jessica, Rick, asks, how do you protect teams from non-value ideas or activities? Think, you know, external factors or internal within the team. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's always a challenging thing because one of the things we do encourage is for people to be creative with their ideas. And when you do that, yeah, not every idea is going to be an A-plus idea. And so... Mm -hmm. It really is about um, having some sort of a gating process where you allow the good ideas to move through yeah. and the others um, sit off to the side. Now, it doesn't mean that that idea that you left back isn't a great idea. It may not just be a time right now. So it could be a timing thing. So I never like to discard those ideas. It's almost like there should be a library of all those ideas. You take the ones that are immediately impactful and you leverage those. And then at some future point, if something has changed materially, it might be time for the other idea to come into play. And mm -hmm. so you just want to keep a, keep a repository of those. 
Absolutely. What? I love um, that. Yeah, and I know I, you talked a lot about um, people, just like Kevin, and we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier offline. Was that something that surprised you the most when you were putting the case study through? Is it something that, I mean, people obviously are always more important to an organization. Was it something that has come through from some of these labor shortages and, you know, really understanding the impact of people throughout the supply chain, throughout your teams, throughout the organization and what it means? And was that something that really surprised you when you put together the case study? That was that was probably less of a surprise, Sarah. I mean, the, the whole people thing has been, Clorox is known for a lot of things. Uh, one of the things we're known for is our culture. Okay. We have a very collaborative, collegial culture. We're very results-oriented at the same point in time, mm-hmm. which is not always the easiest things to mix That's together. That's true, yeah. And, and I would say one of the reasons I've been at Clorox for such a long time is I, I've always respected the fact that we take our values and we live them. Okay. I, I'm really never, ever worried that I'm going to wake up one morning and read something about us that I want to read. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because we try to live our values every single day. And what was great about that approach and our culture is we didn't have to create something during the most difficult time of our lives. Right within COVID. It was something we carried in. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it started with our overall values, but but it also translates to our safety culture. Mm-hmm. So during the pandemic, we had our record best recordable injury rate. Wow. And we actually wow. don't talk about it. We, we don't talk about that number very much. We talk about the people, the humans mm-hmm. who somehow became injured at work. And right. we're really proud of the fact that we're running. I mean, we were running as much as we could, as hard as we could. Mm-hmm. And the folks in our plant were just so resilient and they operated so safely. It was it was really a pretty amazing time period. Well, and that, Alex, you could probably agree with me. That seems to be the running theme across Toro, Clorox, yeah. and Sleep Number is that you really have your culture down. You have uh, an idea of what you're working towards and your why. And you're really bringing everybody together in an organization, supply chain, et cetera, et cetera, to really meet that why. Yes. And I think that's really important, not only for an organization as a whole, but as a supply chain team, because really the supply chain team Mm -hmm. is who's really running that an organization. I mean, we've kind of brought that to the forefront over the last couple of years, and it's what's going to move you into the future, I think. It it absolutely is. And, you know, I, the way that we think about it and talk about it is purpose. So the, you know, the Mm -hmm. purpose of the company, the mission, uh, help people be well and thrive every single day as a fundamentally a health and wellness company. That's, that's Mm -hmm. super important to us. It translates to our brands. It translates to our night strategy and it translates to the purpose of our supply chain and individual manufacturing plants. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, people in our plants, if, if they were not clear of their purpose during the pandemic, they really got it because, uh, you know, we, we grew essentially overnight a staggering amount. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have been able to do that if those folks hadn't kept showing up into our plants day after day after day, if our suppliers hadn't performed, if our external manufacturers hadn't mm-hmm. performed, our logistics partners. I mean, every everybody that we work with really had to come together in an extraordinary way. Amazing. Alex? Yeah. Yeah, how how often it's 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 a really interesting group of people I think that you're bringing together to kind of um, one make this the integrated supply chain as Kevin mentioned kind of happen. How often, um, Rick, are you evaluating um, 
basically evaluating your your SKUs, evaluating your raw materials. You mentioned a few things that you kind of uh, took at the outset of the pandemic. You decreased your SKUs, which decreased your raw materials. It increased your throughput. How often are you, you know, uh, how often are you uh, changing those levers in a sense? I think that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, um, Alex. Let me let me say this. So the evaluation occurs routinely through the SNOP cycle. Sure. <clears throat> so that's a that's a conversation that the SNOP managers have with the business unit general managers and others on those leadership teams. And then it depends on the business that we're talking about, our specific BUs, how often we actually change SKU counts. Mm. And uh, that's a general manager decision, and we leave it to them to take the data that we've provided and, and uh, we'll make a recommendation. We'll have some thoughts. Sometimes the conversations are uh, a little more intense, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. They're very professional mm -hmm. business conversations about something that we're passionate about. And we had pretty good discussions about. Well, I imagine what are you pushing your supply chain teams for right now? Well, you know, the, um, the, the number one thing is to take care of our people and take care of ourselves. Right. That's the number one thing. And, you know, I, this, this is really so important. One of the things that I find is there are a lot of people who are hurting in various ways and they're either very proud or not aware, or maybe a few stubborn mm -hmm. uh, who won't necessarily talk about that. And so one of our jobs is to be really good listeners. And when we say, Hey, how's it going? Not just have that as a throwaway greeting, right. but to really listen to what that person has told us. And then the same is true for ourselves, making sure that, you know, we're kind of staring at each other because we've been in the crucible for two and a half years yeah. and there's really no sign of it, of it relenting. Mm -hmm. And so how do we make sure we're continuing to stay healthy through this, this time period? So that's number one. Uh, number two is we're doing a really good job of bringing our case fill rate, our service rate for customers back. Okay. During the pandemic, our focus was make everything we could and ship everything we could. And customers were very generous with us on, and, and other manufacturers too, all manufacturers, very generous around what they expected for case fill. Mm -hmm. It was in many cases early on, at least they were happy to have product. Right. Now we're back to the business of, Hey, we have commitments. These case fill rates are commitments. And mm -hmm. so we're working hard on that. And the third thing is in this inflationary environment, it has been an extremely expensive way to do business for companies like Clorox. And so we're very mm -hmm. keen on finding ways to find new cost savings, find new efficiencies, work with our suppliers, work with our external manufacturers. Hmm. How do we figure out how we can bring back some of that margin and, and use it for, uh, for innovation, as an example? Yeah. Uh, that's one of, the, one of the things we're really keen on doing with, uh, with any kind of improvements we can make on the cost yeah. side. Amazing. Alex? Something that's something Ashley also said too, with the repurposing of the beds and the returns of the beds and the chips, and mm -hmm. it was it was interesting looking for those unique ways to cost save. Rick, I had a I had a question, and uh, it was it was actually on your case study when you were presenting, and it was you said to think about large digital transformations as just a new way of doing business in a sense, right? It, it's a part of your supply chain. And, it, and, it, and that kind of led to your, I think your your piece of advice, which was to improve the lines, the, the leader's mindset and the skill set of the leaders that are undergoing those transformations. Uh, when you have people and you're so focused on people, digital transformation can be scary. Some people might think they're losing their job. They might think, uh, hey, I gotta upskill myself. How do you encourage your team to uh, build these capabilities? Mm, great question. Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. Uh, you know, first of all, we, we try and keep it real. 
you know, my, my mantra with my team is if you're thinking it, say it. And so we try and approach things that are fears or things that didn't go so well in a very, just a very straightforward manner. Mm. It's not a perfect world. And so you're not always going to have perfect outcomes. Let's just talk about those things that aren't working well. In the case of digital transformation, it's a little bit of that because people can be very fearful of technology. Mm -hmm. When we first started our digital supply network work under my predecessor, Andy Mowry, uh, this would have been five or six years ago. One of the things we knew we had to do was to make sure that people were not fearful of the technology Mm -hmm. and they weren't looking around or somehow holding themselves back or holding anything back. Well, I have a job. Is this Mm -hmm. going to take my job? Is this going to make my job harder, not easier? I like my spreadsheets. What will happen to that? You know, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of people out there that like their spreadsheets. Well, of course there are, because that's, I mean, it's Excel is of course the best planning tool in the Mm -hmm. the universe. So we've gotten very familiar with what we know and change for humans is not always easy. And so Mm -hmm. we set aside some time and, and some effort with a third party to really customize some messages and to really work on eliminating that fear mm-hmm. or at least assuaging it to the point where it wasn't, it wasn't paralyzing something that people were spending a lot of time thinking about. And we really talked about it in a very practical manner about how things would happen. Usually when one door closes another opens. So mm-hmm. there are always lots of opportunities in the supply chain. And I think most people are pretty comfortable with that. I think one of the things that I really like that both you and Kevin spoke about today when we done these interviews is the mental health aspect. Like, I know you talk about people and I know how you you talk about how people, especially in supply chain are the future, but the mental health aspect is something that we don't talk enough about. And I think as leaders in supply chain, it's, you know, really great to hear that that's something that you are discussing, that you're putting it forefront. And it's not something easy because I'm sure that doesn't come natural for you, right? For a lot of people, it doesn't come natural. But to be able to actually put that ahead of everything else, like that was your number one, yep, right? Yep. Before your two and your three. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. it's really admirable. And I just want to say thank you for doing that because we're, you know, talent in supply chain is very precious. And I think there, like you said, there's a lot of constraints. There's a lot of people who are really feeling it right now. And I think it's moments like these where we can share with the digital audience as leaders in the industry to say, hey, this really is important. Yes. You need to take care of yourself and we need to open those spaces to have those conversations. We, we do. And, uh, you know, all that's predicated upon having a trusting relationship yeah, safe with, spaces. With people where they feel mm-hmm. like they can have that discussion. They feel like they can open up to you one-on-one or sometimes even in groups. And mm-hmm. I, we, we've, we've had folks on my leadership team say, I'm not doing good today. Yeah. And we'll, we'll process it. We'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. And there may not be necessarily an answer, but that person generally feels heard. Yes. And uh, some, sometimes that's the, you know, that's the right medicine for, for the moment. Yeah. I just, I would also give a lot of credit to our CEO, Linda Rendell, and our chief people officer, Kirsten Mariner. Mm. Their focus in this space is also uh, really fantastic. And, you know, these, these sorts of things really have to, they have to grow enterprise-wide. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And I, I don't think we had it necessarily any tougher than anybody else during the pandemic, but we certainly realized 
that there were a lot of people that worked at the Clorox company that were suffering yeah. and, and made that a priority. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that. Now, uh, what questions, I want to get back to sort of the supply chain side of things. What questions do you think that supply chain professionals should be asking themselves when they look at 2030? I mean, it's only seven and a half years away. We've been talking about this for, for two days. It's not that far away. What do you think that they should be asking themselves now to set them up for success? Well, I think that, you know, the, the first thing, and I'll go back to something I talked about in my uh, case study, it's, it's the whole mindset skill set thing. Okay. The tool sets are going to change. Uh, they're changing very, very rapidly. And that's going to be essential to run the types of supply chains that will create what our enterprises need. Mm -hmm. So do you have the right people on board? Do they have the right mm -hmm. skills? It's not something that you can generally just sort of push a button and overnight or next week or next month. Yeah. All of that changes. So it's a process. And that is something for 2030. It'll be here before we know it. Mm -hmm. So I would say start now. Okay. Start now. Well, and I think a lot of people are looking to upskill, but they don't really know where they should be upskilling. So I think as leaders in the industry, we should also give the space for them to come and ask. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think uh, as, as the tools emerge and the problems that we're trying to solve, they're either clear or they're going to become clear. Mm -hmm. That's the right moment to sort out. All right, yeah. how do I transition somebody from where their capability is to where I need them to be? Yeah. And what is that change management process to help them get? How that? do we empower them? How do we right. support them? In yeah. All right. Well, before and, and not we, only yeah, really quick, Sarah, not, and I, what, what I what I love, Rick, that you said during your presentation too was it's not not only about your employees there that are currently in the company too, but working with higher education institutions too developing programs, working on certificates, master's programs, uh, whatever it is. I know you, you, you'd kind of um, discuss what you, you were doing, um, but I think that is a crucial element as well as we look to increase, um, it, it close the labor gap that we're seeing in the in many industries, the supply chain industry mm -hmm. as well, and, and supplement it with a fresh perspective, I think that's really missing uh, in, this, in this space. Um, I just wanted to applaud you on that work as well. I appreciate that. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, and it's important as leaders for us to show up, right? Show up on LinkedIn, show up on social media, show up and really show from the rooftop what we're doing in supply chain, what the opportunities are as well. So I think um, that's really important as leaders who are listening to what we're talking about, you know, really being intentional about that, getting out there, talking about what you do on a daily basis, I think is, is crucial. So one last thing. If I, could I ask the sure. real quick? Yeah. That's a great point. Supply chain is cool. It really is cool. It's really cool. <laughs> and there are great careers there are great roles within the supply chain. And the, the best part about it is it's not just manufacturing or planning or logistics or sourcing. Mm -hmm. There's engineering, quality assurance, health, safety, environment, continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. There's all the technical stuff in the digital space. I mean, you, you could spend a lifetime, if you're interested, kind of moving mm -hmm. around the supply chain and having right. a number of different careers that would feel and and sound kind of different. The work would be different, mm -hmm. but at the same point in time, you'd be a member of the supply chain. And I, I think that's one thing we've got to keep emphasizing with folks who are going to school or maybe not. Um, a supply chain career is really a place where you can make a difference. Yeah, you can definitely make a difference and make an impact. Well, what do you think that the audience should walk away from your case study or our discussion today, maybe putting into action? Well, um, the, the action part is, as I said, you know, kind of the transform now. Mm -hmm. I, I would encourage folks to really do an inventory of their digital dexterity. 
And I, I don't know if you necessarily need to go to every single person in your supply chain, but I would definitely make sure at the leadership level and maybe a couple below, mm-hmm. you get a really good feel for that because that is where we're all going. And, uh, you know, best talent's going to win. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people to really take a look at that and, and understand the digital mindset, the skill set, the capabilities that exist, and then create the plans that will allow them to get to where they need to be to serve their enterprise. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, we, thank I'm you. Gonna- I'm going to turn it over to Alex to do a little bit of a social media update and let us know what we're hearing over on Twitter and LinkedIn while we say goodbye to you, Rick. Great. And then we're going to get into trivia. Excellent. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Thank you. (laughs) Have a good day. Yes.